Good morning, everybody. You're welcome to grab a seat. Good to see you. How are you doing? Good. I feel, sorry, I feel like there's some feedback or echo. Okay. Uh, well, this morning, uh, we will continue in this series uh, called Fruit of the Spirit. And, and again, for those of you that, uh, ha, that where we've never met, my name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be lead pastor here. Uh, for those of you that are watching online, we want to welcome you as well. And, and we know that there's a lot of people traveling and out of town. So if you're watching this throughout the week, uh, well, hello to you too. Hope you had an awesome vacation. Uh, it's that time of year, and so uh, with the weather good and, and, you know, some people are feeling more comfortable traveling, uh, I hope that whatever the case is, that you can create memories and laughter with those you love, and uh, especially right now in the season that we're in. And so, again, we are speaking about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and one of my biggest pet peeve is that it's just one fruit. Okay, the Bible speaks of it in Galatians as one fruit that possesses different attributes, different elements. And we've talked about many uh, throughout the week. Love, peace, patience, kindness. And we'll continue to talk about more. And this morning we talk about goodness. And this idea of goodness, this fruit that we have, that when we follow Christ, when we say yes to being in relationship with Jesus, uh, and the transformation that happens, uh, there's things that stir within us that compels us, again, to love, to be patient, to be kind, to be gentle, and to be good. And, and I was telling the staff earlier that uh, it's, it's an interesting sermon topic because uh, it sounds so generic, right? Especially when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. It's all about how we live and interact with one another. And so as you interact with one another, uh, Paul is saying, and really Paul's getting all of this from the Beatitudes, okay? It's, it's, it's Jesus is saying, if you want to live the good life, if you want to experience the best life possible, do these things, including being Good. And so this morning we talk about what it means to be and to practice goodness with one another. And I would argue, and I say this week after week, that the year and a half and even longer that we've had goodness and kindness and patience and peace is something we all need in our lives. And so with that said, our passage comes from uh, Luke, yes, it, it, the framework is around Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit, and, and then we'll take a look at what Jesus said and how Jesus lived, practicing the very fruit that Paul encourages us to have. And so uh, it's a familiar story if you've been around the church. If not, that's okay. Uh, but it's in Luke chapter 10, and I'll start from verse 33. Uh, and the word of the Lord says this, but a Samaritan, while traveling came near him, uh, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went, to, uh, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, uh, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. 
Which of these three, and we'll talk about these three, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. We'll spend a moment to unpack this, look at the context, look at what happened before. But before we do that, let's pray. God, thank you that in this messy world right now that we live in, that you call us to a different life, to do things just differently. God, in a world and a society where we are so divided and polarized and, and we are uh, encouraged to, to make this us versus them and hate and love and, and violence that we see and, and hatred that we see, in the midst of all of that, you call us to live a different life. A life filled with the fruit of the Spirit that includes practicing goodness and help us to learn what that means, help us to do, do just that. In your name we pray, amen and amen. As I mentioned, the, the idea of goodness is, is tricky because we use this word good every single day of our lives and for different reasons we use the word good. Right, you probably used good maybe even this morning. Your breakfast was, was good. Oh, or, or the meal that you had the other day was good. The movie that you watched the other day was good. The song that you listened to was good. Your pet dog or whatever animal was good. I don't know what that feels like, but for those of you that have dogs perhaps that are good, then maybe they are good. We, we use the word good interchangeably with a lot of things all the time. When someone asks you, or maybe you ask them, hey, how are you doing? The, the classic answer and response is, hey, I'm good, right? No matter what you're going through, the world may be falling apart. You may not know what tomorrow looks like. You may have all these uncertainties. And yet when someone asks you, how are you doing? Your response is good. And as our social contract goes, our unspoken social contract, you then respond or ask again, well, how are you doing? And then that person, no matter what they're going through, the answer is, well, I'm doing good. There's no, there's no depth in that. There's no vulnerability. There's no authenticity. There's no meat. In fact, again, it's a social contract basically saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't really want to spend the time to, to talk to you, uh, so I'm just going to say good. And then a response of the same person is saying, well, good, because I don't want to talk to you either, so I'm just going to say good. It's just this understanding that we have. And the word good has just been so watered down because we use it for everything. And yet in Galatians, it says the fruit, again, the fruit of the Spirit compels us to love one another, to have joy, to have peace, to have patience, to have kindness, and then to have goodness. And we'll talk about gentleness and self-control, but, but to practice goodness, to do good. And the word that we find in Galatians is not the same watered down that we use every day for good or goodness. In the original language, the New Testament is written in Greek. And so oftentimes what I like to do is look at the words that were actually used, the context, because surprise, surprise, and maybe surprise, the Bible wasn't written in English. I hate to burst your bubbles, but the, you know, these documents have been around for thousands of years, written originally in the New Testament, Greek. And the Greek word is agathos. And yes, it's translated uh, as good or goodness. 
And it's used over 100 times throughout the New Testament. And the reason why this sermon is a bit challenging is because the word goodness or the word agathos, so if you've ever, if you know a woman or a person named Agatha, then that person is named after goodness, to, to show kindness, to be good. Uh, but over a hundred times it's used. It's used for a variety of different reasons. Uh, mostly about how God is good to us. And because God has been good to us, we should expand, ex- extend that goodness to others. And so it's used in a variety of different ways. But one thing that the word agathos has in common throughout all 100 plus times it's used is that the the idea of goodness isn't just an idea, but it actually produces something. It produces results. It produces transformation. It produces benefit, and oftentimes for the other, for the other person. And so when Galatians is talking about this fruit of the Spirit, that when you enter into this relationship with God, your life should obviously be filled with joy and love and peace and kindness and goodness. That the way that you show up in this world, the way that you treat others, especially when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit and the teachings of Jesus, oftentimes it's in relationship with one another. And the the mandate here is whatever you do and how you interact with the other person should oftentimes result into fruit, into something good, into something beneficial. That's agathos. And one commentator describes goodness, or this Greek word agathos, as generously acting on behalf of others for their flourishing. To practice goodness is to generously act on behalf of others for their flourishing. And it sounds nice, right? Most of us would agree that this is something we should all do. We should seek to help others in need. We should donate to causes. We should extend kindness and forgiveness. We should volunteer at the homeless shelter or or whatever nonprofit organization or even at the church. We should give of uh, of our time. We should do all these things. In fact, many of us, we, we do. We do these things. What makes it hard, especially in this definition, is the word generously. We should generously act on behalf of others. It's the generous part that makes it so darn challenging. And here's what I mean. Maybe a little illustration could help. Uh, Last week, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, my wife Maria and I, uh, we took a little vacation. And technically it was a staycation. Uh, it was Tuesday and Wednesday, and our staycation, we titled it, uh, Being a Tourist in Our Own Hometown. And so we both grew up in Seattle, but we decided, hey, you know what, let's be tourists for the next couple days. That's our kind of our two-day date night, date day. Uh, and so we did the classic. We went to Pike Place Market, you know, and, and we got food down there. We went kayaking. Uh, you know, we went to this Space Needle, and by the way, Space is pretty cool. Like, I, I haven't been to Space Needle in forever, uh, and, and it's pretty awesome. I drive by it often, but, uh, you know, we got tickets to the, to the Ferris wheel uh, there in downtown. We went around Pacific Place and 
It, it was just an awesome time that we had. And, and to top it off, as we were walking around downtown, we saw an, a, a tr- an ice cream truck. And what do you do when you see an ice cream truck? There's only one right answer. You you get ice cream. And so it was really hot that day, and we were waiting in line, and it took forever, but we finally got the ice cream, and we, you know, we were eating it right outside of the truck and outside, and it was just a perfect thing for the perfect weather. And this lady out, uh, out of nowhere comes up to us and says, hey, do you have any spare cash so I could you know, buy ice cream as well? And the reality is, there was a lot of things going on in my mind. And this is full transparency, full vulnerability here. Part of me was like, well, A, I don't have cash. I literally have not touched cash in a year and a half. Okay, I'm not going to touch it. That's gross. All right? So I, just, I don't have cash. And so I was just like, I'm sorry. It's kind of an easy out. I, I, don't have, I don't have cash. And so she was like, okay. And, and so the line was still long, and she was kind of going around person to person, hey, do you have any cash so I can get some ice cream? And, and, and I, don't, I don't want to make any assumptions, but perhaps this person is a person who is experiencing homelessness, uh, and everyone was saying the same thing, I don't have cash. And so uh, I whispered into Maria's ear, and I said, okay, look, if by the time we're done with this ice cream, and the, the line has died down, then you know what, we'll just buy it for her. Okay, hey, because here's my honest confession. It was warm. I don't want to sit outside in, in line again. I was enjoying this time with my wife in our staycation on our date, essentially. It was hot outside. And here I am saying, okay, I will help this person. I will buy this person as long as it is convenient for us. As long as I don't have to give too much of my time. Because, you know, the ice cream, it's not that expensive for, for us. You know, not to say that, you know, we have all the resources in the world. But, you know, two, three dollar, well, Seattle, so six dollar ice cream uh, was, is not that bad. What was more challenging for us, and particularly more for me than her, is we didn't want to wait in line. We didn't want to have to go through it. Fortunately, uh, somebody in line finally said yes. We're like, okay, we're off the hook. Okay, that, that, that is the kind of attitude that we had. And so let's be honest. Practicing goodness is hard. It's hard. We don't actually want to do it because it costs us something, especially when we look at the definition of agathos. It's not just being kind. It's not just being nice. It's not just doing acts of kindness, although it includes all of that, but it's doing it generously. See, when if I were to just give, you know, hey, here's $5, to me, that's, I mean, that's nice. And I think, you know, if, if, if you feel convicted, if that's something that you want to do, I think that's okay. That's great. That's helpful. But for me, I, I, that wasn't that generous. It was, it was easy. It was convenient. It, it was the ask, essentially, the inadvertent ask of giving up my time and energy and this time I was having with Maria. It was giving that up that I refuse to do. So practicing goodness, the way that the Bible talks about goodness, it's challenging. It's hard. We don't actually want to, well, let's just be honest. We don't actually want to do good. We'll talk about what is good. 
right? We've seen that. It's been really easy for us to talk about what is good. In fact, we'll even post about it on social media. And I, and I do this, and there's a name for that. We call it performative activism. I'll be honest, I, I fall guilty to that. I may not want to go out and actually do the work and helping, especially, you know, in the last year and a half. And for those of you that know me, I'm, I have this bent towards racial justice and, and equity. And so that's something that I feel really passionate about. And oftentimes I let myself off the hook because, hey, I don't need to do anything because I posted a, a Dr. Martin Luther King quote on Facebook. So, so I'm good, right? Because it's easy for me. The more challenging thing to do would be to, to do work, to learn, to, to, to see what I can do to help further justice. So we talk about it because that's easy. We post about it because that's easy. And not only easy, but we believe it gives us social capital, right? It, it, it actually, we get something out of it. And oftentimes that's what goodness seems to look like. We, we read books about it endlessly. And, and again, all these things, they're, they're good stuff. But it's easy to just sit in my house and just read the many books, especially right now on, on, on systemic racism, on you know, fragility, and, and all these things. I won't go into it. But I mean, have you noticed that if you go to any bookstore and you go to like, the recommended section, it's all about justice issues and activism and advocacy. Because it's almost a cool thing to do right now. And again, these are not bad things. Please, please do it. A part of fighting and pursuing justice is to be informed and to learn and to educate ourselves. So these are all good things. But it does not stop there. Because the true idea of goodness and to practice goodness actually is A, being generous. Yes, it could be generous with your time. But it's with your emotions. It's with your resources. It's putting even your own preferences aside in order for the other person to flourish, to thrive, to experience also God's goodness. It requires all of that. It requires so much sacrifice from us. So therefore, to be good, as easy as it sounds like, and as much as we like the idea of it, it's a challenge, especially now in this highly individualistic society where we often ask, again, what's in it for me? On the drive uh, a few days ago from, I don't know where I was coming from, but I was listening to a podcast called Freakonomics, and, and maybe some of you uh, are familiar with it. And there was a segment exactly on this. It was a segment on individualism and specifically individualism in the United States. And there was a, a, a ironically, a Dutch professor who uh, was doing this in-depth research, started from his father, that showed, and this is uh, a ton of research, if you want to look, look it up, I'll give you some more information after the service, but it shows that uh, he concluded that the, the United States is, by metric, the most individualistic society in the world. The most individualistic society in the world. And maybe some of you, you're not surprised, like, no duh. But he would also argue that this is neither good, this is neither bad, it's just different. Like many other things that are just different, there's pros and there's cons. There's a lot of pros to being in an individualistic society. There's 
uh, creativity, there's rapid innovation, there's, there's economic growth, there's advance, advancement in, in technology, there's a freedom of expression, there's fashion, there's even uh, an accessibility to pursue human, human rights and, and advocacy. So, so to some degree, individualistic societies are not, are not a bad thing. There's, there's, there's good that comes out of it, but also, like anything else that has pros, is there's a lot of cons. And the three cons that this researcher shares is, is first, it's this idea of scarcity. The feeling of not enough. And many of us have felt this. In a highly individualistic society, we often fall into this trap of not enough. Not enough money, not enough resources, especially not enough time. In fact, one of the biggest indicators of how individualistic a, a not only a society, but even a, an area is, a, they measure by how fast people walk. How fast people walk. So if you look at cities like New York City, uh, LA, Chicago, they're fast walkers, right? And have you ever walked with a fast walker? Maybe you're the fast walker, you know, and I, I've walked with people that are fast walking. In fact, I, you know, I'm like that too, where, I, you know, I'm trying to keep up with people. I'm like, why are you walking so fast? Because, you know, the, the idea is like, we got to get to this place, we got to get to that place, and we just got to get stuff done. Because this idea of scarcity, there's not enough time in a day. Have you ever heard that? There's not enough hours in a day or in a week. Or uh, time is money. I've said that before. Or uh, the early bird gets the worm and oftentimes leads to, to, to greed. And, and so uh, in an individual society that we all live in, A, we all fall into the myth of scarcity. Second, competition. We fall into this myth that in order to have a winner, there must be a loser. In order to, for there to be a hero, there must be a villain. And not only that, because of this idea of competition, because there's only enough for one, we fall into a space of workaholism. And it ends up being a badge of honor. Working so hard, working so many hours, even neglecting and, prior, and prioritizing work over what's more important, such as family and faith and other things. The research says when, when they surveyed people and, and they asked about this idea of honor in this very individualistic society, they would say that individualistic societies, when, when you talk about honor, they talk about their achievements, all the things that they've accomplished. When you ask, uh, particularly in their studies, uh, Middle Eastern countries about honor, they think about family and they think about community. And so in this highly individualistic society that we live in, we're constantly feeling like, hey, there's, there's just not enough. I got to keep going. There's got, there's got to be a winner. There's got to be a loser. And I want to be the winner, right? Because everything's in competition. And lastly, uh, there's a justification for injustice and inequity. In other words, it doesn't take in consideration systemic injustices that have historically oppressed certain groups, especially when it comes to slavery and Jim Crow laws where we had this myth because of scarcity and competition in this individual society that, hey, as long as you do your job, as long as you, you know, pull up your, I don't even know the saying, bootstraps and tie yourself or something like that. I don't know how the saying goes. But as long as you do that, then you're going to win. And the reason why you're not winning and the reason why you're not succeeding is because you have not worked hard. 
And it doesn't count, again, for the history of our society. And because of all these things, goodness is so challenging. I mean, have you ever walked past somebody in need <clears throat> and just walked right past them? Because that would require generosity. Again, not just with money, maybe it is money, but also with your time, with your energy, with your schedule. Could you imagine having to give up a part of your schedule to help someone that you may have just walked right past? I mean, I think about that, and I, I get convicted too, and I've talked about this, where, you know, going downtown and you see people that are experiencing homelessness, and, you know, they may ask you for, for, for change or for money or even for food, and, and, and if you're anything like me, and I'm talking to myself, we walk past them. We don't even look them in the eye, which is the sense of dignity that we're just removing, because we don't even have time for that. We don't even have time to look at the person in the eye and say, at least hello, or no, I don't, I'm so sorry. Have you ever cut corners, maybe at work? Have you ever put up with the status quo or view others as your enemy because we've fallen again into this myth that we're constantly competing with one another? If you have, these are the very reasons it's hard for us to practice goodness. Have you ever convinced yourself you didn't need to practice goodness towards the other person, whoever the other person is, because it's not your fault that they didn't work hard enough. We have this, it's not my problem. And when we look at the story of Jesus, he shares a story that tells us what goodness actually looks like. And in Luke chapter 10, there's a parable. Again, we read the ending of it. Uh, and it's a story that a parable is a story to illustrate a point. It may not actually have happened, but it's Jesus' way of teaching. And for many of us, our Bibles, uh, right before that pericope or that passage of, of, the, uh, of these verses start, many of our Bibles have this caption called, The Good Samaritan. Right? We even have a saying called the Good Samaritan. The ironic part is uh, Jesus doesn't even use the word good anywhere in this story. And I think that's the beauty of Jesus' this, this, this poetic irony that, that doing good isn't just talking about it, but it's seen, it's shown, there's evidence of that. It's called fruit. And Jesus says, here's what it actually looks like. And before we get to the actual parable, here's how it starts. Leading up to this parable... Jesus is uh, encountered by this lawyer, literally a lawyer, but really an expert of the law, the Torah. And he questions Jesus uh, by testing him. He wants to debate Jesus. He doesn't really want to have a conversation. You ever have, have you ever experienced that when, when you're having a conversation with somebody and they ask questions, but it's not really a question. They want to debate. They don't really care about what... Anyways, here's what they, that's what's happening here. I'm projecting too much today. <laughs> Jesus is entering into this debate with this expert, and it says this, just then the lawyer stood up, a.k.a. the expert of the law, to test Jesus, to debate with Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's trying to trap him. He wants to see what he wants to say. He, Jesus, said to him, well, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He, the lawyer, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then he, Jesus, said to him, 
you have given the right answer. Do this and you shall live. So at this point, the, the lawyer knows that he, he lost this one. And he goes in again. Okay, Jesus knows what he's talking about. Okay, let's, let's try again. So this, this expert in the law, this lawyer says, well then, okay, Jesus, then who is my neighbor? It says to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Believing there's only one right answer. So it's like he asked a question already knowing the answer. So he says, okay, Jesus, you, good, you got that right. But now let me ask you a second test. Who's the neighbor? And then almost randomly, that's when Jesus talks about the Samaritan, this parable. And he says this, but a Samaritan while traveling, sorry, let me, let me back up a little bit. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 30 to 36, this is when Jesus starts the parable of the Good Samaritan. This was his answer. It wasn't just like, well, who's my neighbor? Let me tell you who the neighbor is. He says, well, who's the neighbor? And he says, well, let me tell you a story. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, just quick note here. When it says coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jesus is hinting in the story that this man was probably coming back from a religious celebration from Jerusalem from a cleansing ceremony. So most likely a religious Jew. And this person fell into the hands of Robert. So again, this person was coming from Jerusalem, probably from a religious celebration, a ritual, a cleansing. And on his way back to Jericho, uh, he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So this is an important part of the story. And then verse 31, it says, Now by chance, a priest was going down that same road. So in other words, what Jesus is hinting at again is that the very celebration that this man who got beaten was coming from, most likely this priest was coming from that same religious ceremony or celebration. They're fellow Jews. Not only that, they're fellow devout Jews. And so this priest was going down that same road, and when he saw him, again, a, a, colleague, a, a fellow devout Jew, he passed by on the other side. He crossed the street, essentially. I don't want anything to do with that. So likewise, a Levite, who's also a leader in the Jewish church in the, in the temple, uh, again, so likewise, again, coming from the same probably religious event, when he came to this place and saw him, the person who was beat, he passed by on the other side, as well. But now listen to this. In verse 33, but a Samaritan while traveling, now the Samaritan wasn't coming from that same religious uh, celebration or whatever it was. It just said that this person was traveling. Came near him, and when he saw him, again, the, the person that was beat and left for dead, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, most likely his donkey or his horse, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. <clears throat> two denarii, one denarii is equal to one day's wages. So he took out two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, so it's not only that, I'm actually going to come back. I, I still got to do my thing, but I'm going to come back and I will repay you whatever you spend. 
So that's the parable. And then Jesus says, out of these three, who do you think was a neighbor? He's going back to the question. You want to know who the neighbor is? Well, you tell me. Who was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do, go and do, go and do, do, do likewise. I just want to mention three observations here. First, Jesus was most likely hinting that the person who was hurt was a fellow devout Jew. Yet the Jewish leaders walked away. Didn't want to waste their time. Didn't want to, uh, you know, give of anything. But secondly, I want us to kind of be fair and have the right mind. Before we judge these religious people too harshly, know that in the Torah, to touch blood, because this person was most likely bleeding, uh, or to even touch a dead body, it said that this person was half dead, remember, so that was really important, makes you also defiled, ritually defiled, unclean. So ritually, some would argue that they actually did the right thing. As religious folks, you're not supposed to touch dead bodies. You're not supposed to touch blood. And so they walked across the street. And perhaps in their mind, they were doing what they were supposed to do. And third, the person who helps him, notice, is a Samaritan. And many of you might know, Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. In fact, they didn't associate with one another. They thought of each other as almost enemies. And so the point goes back to the original question, who is my neighbor? The expert in the law was asking a trick question. He thought he already knew the answer because the automatic answer is from Leviticus, from the, from the law. He's an expert in the law. When he says, who is my neighbor? The, any good Jew would know that the answer is, well, other fellow Jews. That's it. That's your neighbor. When it says, love your neighbors as yourself, in the Old Testament, that meant you're actually called, that doesn't mean to hate others or to be violent towards others. It just means this particular commandment is to love your neighbor your fellow Jews as yourself. And Jesus comes and flips it upside down and he he redefines what neighbor is, who the neighbor is, saying everybody is your neighbor, including your so-called enemy, like this person, like this Samaritan person who helped a religious Jewish person who was beat by robbers. Jesus shows that what it looks like, Jesus shows what it looks like to practice goodness, giving sacrificially. He says, here's two days' wages, caring for the hurt, the stranger, not seeing any boundaries. He could have been like, well, wait a minute, I'm a Samaritan. He's obviously a Jew, not just any Jew, but a religious and devout Jew. So I'm going to, even his own people left him, so I'm going to do the same. He could have easily done that, but he looked past those social and cultural boundaries, and he helped. And he even came back to follow up. That's what goodness looks like. And here in this story, and this is the kicker, that this parable points to Jesus. And this is where the irony is. Jesus, the devout Jew, the teacher, the rabbi, points himself as the Samaritan figure. As a Samaritan figure in this story. That Jesus is good. That God is good. 
In Psalms 136, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's love endures forever. In Psalm 23, it says, Surely goodness will love, and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The point is this. Goodness is not manufactured on our own. This desire, because if we tried, we would fail. But this idea of goodness to, to, to generously and selflessly act on behalf of the other so they can flourish, even if it costs us our time, our money, our, uh, our convenience, our own preferences, that comes out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to being transformed by God's Spirit to practice goodness. And the ultimate example of goodness is the cross. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us, on behalf of us. God loves you. God is good to us. And it says, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. His love endures forever. Forever God will be good to us. And Jesus says, and go and do likewise. So as I invite the, the worship team back up, as we just sit and reflect, I want to end with this verse. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. May we practice Goodness. In a world that says goodness is weak, in a society that says goodness will set you back, in a culture that says goodness you will lose, and in this context, may we do things differently. May we be generous. May we be generous with others regularly with no strings attached. And practically speaking, that can look so different for all of us. Maybe that's making a phone call. We're being generous by saying, you know what, I want to be the first one to reconcile. Maybe there is somebody in need, a friend or even a stranger. Maybe it's giving a loved one your time. One author says that love is spelled T-I-M-E. I don't know what it is for you. But in a world where it's so difficult to be, in this individualistic world where it's so challenging to be good, to practice goodness, may we do things differently. May people see us and know that there's something different within us, that we are directed, we're guided, we're convicted. We've been transformed by the love of Jesus. And out of that compels us to do good, to act generously on behalf of others, to see them flourish. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us so much. And out of that same love, you've called us to love others, but that doesn't just mean talking about love. It means living it out. It means extending that to others, giving generously so that they may flourish, 
so they may be who you've created them to be. God, practice in goodness. It's, it's, an, it's an external expression of an internal transformation. And so, and above all things, help us to know and may we stay humble that all of the goodness that we do, it's because you have loved us first. It's because you have been good to us first and foremost. And you have set the example for us to go and do likewise. May we do just that. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue and worship together.